Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, you guys, we are back for a fresh episode of Brown Girls Rising, and I have Estefanie here today from Gentle Riot. You guys know I say it on every episode. I am forever down for my Insta girl crushes where I'm like, <laughs> I love you. I love your products. I think you're dope. Do you want to be on the show? Which is exactly how we connected at the Fierce Queens United event. Thank you, Dreamers in LA and Barnyard. And now here we are today. We got her here on the podcast. And she's local like me. She's from Paramount. Big ups to Shout Rancho to de Paramount. Okay, so I have to ask you before we get into the personal stuff, since you're from Paramount, do you remember on Paramount Boulevard and Alondra, the little, the little, me- oh, I'm blanking on the name, the carniceria that was right next to the Pizza Hut by Rosewood? I'm blanking. No. So, okay, you're on Alondra. Uh-huh. And it was just after you passed Paramount Boulevard, but before you got to Downey, Uh there was the Rosewood restaurant on the corner that nobody ever went to. Okay. And then there used to be like carniceria Uh and like little verdura place. And then it shut down. And then there was a a pizza hut next to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that shopping center is now. I think they demoed it. Do you remember that? I don't. I have to correct, though. I've been in Paramount like the last six years now. Oh, that's probably why. I've like moved around. Burbank okay. initially and then Vegas. So I don't know. Okay. So we Here have we to go. talk about this because yeah. how do people come to Paramount? I only know people trying to exit Paramount. I know. Just, you know, that the struggle of like, you know, being in like Southeast LA, like from moving up from Huntington Park to Bell Gardens, you just keep moving yeah. up and moving out. So that's how we ended up in Paramount, moving up and out. So, oh my gosh. All right. Well, let me tell you, Paramount has dramatically changed. Yeah. It's much cooler now than it used to be. Thank you, Orchateria, who we should probably get on this podcast because they're doing dope stuff. But I grew up in Paramount. I went to school in Paramount. I went to Lincoln Elementary. And <laughs> Paramount used to be so hood. And I joke that everyone in Paramount's related somehow. Like, you're 98% Mexican and related. Probably true. It's yes. It's kind of small. But yeah, no, it's up up and up right now. Orchateria definitely is putting Paramount on the map. So now people know where I'm from. Or where I live. Tams. Yeah, I love Tams. Always oh. Tams. And Kendrick shouted out Tams on Damn. And I was like, me and Kendrick, we have that connection. Oh, yeah. my God. I totally yeah. missed that. He, I forget the song, but I'll pull it up. All right. Let me tell you. <laughs> when you were from Paramount and you went to Alondra Middle School, the best thing to do after school was go buy Tams and get yourself some se- seasoned fries. They were like Tommy's fries. <sighs> Tams fries are the best. To I... this day, when I go visit my parents, I'm always with my sister like, you down for a burger special from Tams? You have to. Oh, and they're it's open the to, late. Yeah. And they're open on New Year's. Oh, all right. I'm going to tell you guys a story. You you heard this story here on the podcast probably about how I got my dog, Tapatio. I was really depressed. Um, I had just had my broken engagement and I spent, spent six months in bed. And the first day that I got out of bed and I was willing to go outside, I was at my parents' house because I had moved home. And I come out to the living room. My dad's like, oh, my God, you're up. Hi. And I go, hi. I go, I really want to get out of the house today. And he goes, okay. And it's like 8 o'clock on a Friday night. He's like, great. That That's excellent. Where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. Maybe we could just drive through Tam's and grab some fries. And he's like, yes, we could grab some fries. And I walk out the front door. 
And this little ugly ass, starving, flea infested, nasty, chirping chihuahua comes right up to me. I go, the fuck is this dog? And I bend down and he jumps into my arms. And I was like, oh my God, this dog likes me. It's in my arms. I don't even like little dogs. Normally I want to punt them like across a field or something. <laughs> and here's this yappy, ugly ass chihuahua in my arms. And we never went to get the fries. We kept the dog. We, the dog and I fell in love. Love at first sight. First flea bite, I should say, because he had a lot of fleas. And that's how I got Tapatio. I will, and we never got the fries, but I will never forget that. I remember it. And my dad tells this story about she wanted the fries. She got out of bed. She put on real clothes. It was like a big deal. And then the dog walked into my life. So Tapatio and Tam saved me from depression. Lots of teas. <laughs> oh, random story. All right. We're getting away from the subject, though. Stephanie, you are the owner of Gentle Riot, which if you don't follow on Instagram, you absolutely need to. And we're going to link here in the summary for you. Tell us about Gentle Riot, who you are, what you do, and how you curate your products. Gentle Riot is a weird girl streetwear brand um, based out of Paramount. I started it initially, it was going to be three t-shirts. I was going to make just one for me and one for my friend. And then my friends got word and they wanted shirts and the whole intention behind the brand is really creating a space where I can highlight and show women of color in fashion and curate something really cool and create something fun that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and can pretty much say whatever you want. And I like to think that our products or my products have, you know, they're a little bit of or different personalities. Like some days it's a little bit more bitchy and some days it's a little bit more witty or sweet or just kind of getting, keeping men away almost, but it's really just a place that we can celebrate each other and celebrate the weird girl, anyone who's felt outside of mainstream or outside of society's norms and really celebrate it and create that community um, for one another. I love that. We try to do that here on the podcast. And I know for a lot of our guests, their own personal journeys really stem from personal experiences that they've gone through. Have you ever felt like the weird girl or the girl that didn't fit in? always my life story. I remember being in high school and like middle school and always thrifting and um, getting some weird like ugly polyester printed things and just wanting to wear whatever I wanted to wear and not really following trends and even just being outspoken or being like being a Latina and like suburbia sometimes is kind of you know it'll put you kind of on the outside and you don't see yourself represented or in your classmates or see yourself represented in you know, media and fashion. And I've always loved fashion. And mm. I always idolized like Vogue and would um, read every single issue of Teen Vogue, but not see myself in the pages and feeling like, oh man, like it just turned into this whole, like, I should be taller. I should be thinner. I should look like this and look like that. But I love fashion. And so how do those things like mix, you know, because they send so many different messages about women's bodies. Oh um, yeah. I can't believe when big asses came into style. Like, thank you, J-Lo, and thank you, Kim Kardashian, because I grew up in the <laughs> 90s where all you wanted to be was super thin. Yeah, for sure. I only wanted a slimmer ass. I would even say that eating disorders were almost, like, praised, right? Because I had friends. It was always about how thin can you be, what diet are you on, and how blonde could you be? And let me tell you, I have fried my hair trying to be blonde. Like, that half-white side of me, whoo, Randy's laughing. He knows. He remembers me blonde. We've known each other a long time. I'm so grateful that big asses came back in style, but who would have thought they'd come back so exaggerated with like butt implants and this like hypersexualized 
hourglass look, which don't get me wrong, is incredible. But to your point, I think trying to reconcile the images that you're seeing and all the ways that you're not, but still loving it and finding your place in that. Absolutely. One of the things I really love about your Instagram and your products is how you really, you know, talk about highlighting women of color and their work. Mm -hmm. Ever since we've started this show, it has been so incredible to me to see the types of women producing art and not just art, but like merchandise, Latina inspired merchandise. We had Raggedy Tiff on the show. I love her stuff. Oh my gosh. We were just yeah. talking about it. I just bought some of her Frida Por Vida collection. So cute. Her Friduchas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to think like, oh, when my mom would have stuff like that, like I used to think it was weird. And I'm like, mom, everyone's going to know we're Mexican. Like we're very Mexican. Absolutely. And yet now it's such a trendier thing. And it's so creative to see those things highlighted in such a positive way. How do you find like artists and companies that you're working with in addition to sourcing your own things? I'm a big lurker on Instagram. I will fall into like wormholes of like this person posted this for like this artist and then you just follow that and keep going, keep going and you just stumble upon. That's how I found like uh, Lokita Bath and Body, which is like one of my okay. favorite like body products and then Firme Arte uh, mm -hmm. online as well. But yeah, just Instagram, social media gives such a platform to so many small business owners that you can really reach a huge market with um, with just an Instagram. And through there, like you just get inspired, like they're doing this and they're celebrating this aspect and you just kind of keep going with it and keeps growing organically. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, I think it's so, it's so incredible today what social media has given us as far as a platform Absolutely. to be able to find our people, find our tribe, build a community of people who want to purchase your items and being able to do that stuff. Like, you know, Raggedy Tiff, we were just talking about her vans that she's customizing, yeah. right? Only doing a hundred pairs, starting at 90 bucks, sold out. Yeah. Done. Can't get them anymore. Even her mugs. I can't go to her pop-up. And I was like, I slid into her DM so hard. I was like, girl, how can I be guaranteed a pop-up a mug even though I can't go to the pop-up? She's like, well, I will have some that I'm going to list online. I was like, no, I need mine. <laughs> like, I need my name on it. Can I Venmo you? Like, how do I get in on this order? It's right. Like a Supreme drop or something. It's amazing. And it's amazing to see these like, you know, they're friends too. Like you can right. like reach out to them and be like, hey, like I love what you're doing. And it's it's insane to have that kind of demand for something like that. It's cool. It is. It's and very I cool. love to see the creativity of that. We had very that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. I love her chingona stuff. We refer to me as La Chingona. In Ooh. fact, I have many people who refer to me as La Chingona. You really are. Thank you. you are. Thank you. In fact, I had somebody refer to me as La Chingona in a negative way. And I go, dude, can I send you an urban dictionary definition of what it means? Because you just called me a person who kicks ass and I will absolutely kick yours. Like Exactly. But I love seeing the celebration of the word like chingona, like being out there celebrating women that are doing stuff, that are kicking ass and taking names, especially in a culture where that's not always so celebrated, where you're taught you should be a mom, you should have kids, you should be more conservative, you should be you know, quiet, reserved, let your husband step forward, especially in a machismo culture. Absolutely. Even the word like chiona, like I feel like I've met a few friends who are really owning that, like owning the fact that, you know, we can be crybabies and we can feel and like, especially oh, yeah. like our culture of, um, 
at least in from my experience, like you have to always be strong and you always have to hold it together and keep that hustle mentality and not let things affect you emotionally. But, you know, I've owned that recently. Like, yeah, I am a Chiona. I'm sensitive. I'm so sensitive. And I'm okay with crying and I'm okay with like celebrating people who feel feelings because we're human, you know? Hashtag and it's like so- sad girl emoji. Exactly. Yes. Hashtag all the feels. I have a t-shirt that says that. <gasps> You're into it, so. I use that hashtag all the feels. Yeah. I get a so lot good. of feels. Um, so many. Usually when I'm drinking and I use the hashtag in la noche, you will find my feels because <laughs> I will, you know, be celebrating to some song where all my life comes out. Usually it's like a old school Jose Alfredo Jimenez or it's Coldplay. Or Coldplay. Or Coldplay. Coldplay, Coldplay makes me want to slip For like my a wrist. nice long dramatic drive when you just contemplate life. It's Coldplay. Keisha Cole, she's up there on all my feels. I belt out very uh, off key. And then I really want to like slit my wrist at that point where you're just like, oh my God, everything. I'm just going to ugly cry. Yeah. Oh. I love the ugly cry emoji. That's my favorite. For everything, it's always an ugly cry. Oh. Some dramatic. mascara. Yeah. Yes. Gross. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but I love that you talk about being touch in touch with your feelings and being willing to tap into the places that are sensitive. I know that for me, the times that I've been the most raw and unfiltered and gone there are where some of my best creativity has come from. Absolutely. I'm curious for you, do you have, you know, you talked about holding it together and being strong. Um, You know, is there a point in your life where you really kind of gave yourself permission and said, no, I don't have to be all things to all people all the time and kind of what that turning point was for you? I feel like I'm kind of in the end of that journey. I think January of 2017 was one of that, was that moment for me where I just said, yeah, I'm going to start living like my life for Stephanie, like for me. And, um, I can set boundaries with people and I can say yes to myself and like, how do I take care of myself and what does it mean to practice self-care? Like, is it some, like I used to think self-care was like a nice long shower. And then someone told me that's just basic care. Um, so what do you do to actually take care of yourself? Like you would take care of like a loved a loved one or like a friend, you know, or a parent or something. And I think having to learn that has been um, – it's been a journey and it's been, you know, like what does it mean to live my own authentic life? So I wrote an article a really long time ago for Good Magazine called Life by Design, Not by Default. And when it comes to practicing self-care, I think um, – like you said, it's really about living on your terms and what are those terms, not terms that have been imposed on you by somebody else that you've adopted as your own as I need to do this. What did you do before opening Gentle Riot? Um, Well, I still currently, um, I studied fashion design. I'm a production coordinator for a clothing company. Um, So Gentle Riot is, you know, the side hustle, but it's that like passion project. So Mm. I work in fashion. I love that. Yeah. But I love that that kind of like comes together and it blends for you. And you're able to take that expertise. Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Mm. Magic, one of my favorite books. I love how she talks about how everybody should have a side hustle. And it's not about the money, but it's about expressing your creativity and creating something that's your own. And like when I think of you, I think of a proud like feminist brand. Yes. Which I really love. And we keep saying that we're going to do it. We haven't done it yet, but we're trying to curate a feminist shopping guide. I love it. And I just feel like that's not out there. That needs to be a thing. We have listicles for everything, but where can I find feminist shopping guides of women, women of color, by women of color, creating incredible things that I can support? 
right? And spend my dollars where I want to in communities that look like mine that aren't getting enough attention. So for you, I mean, again, I look at you and I think feminist. Yes. Uh, Is that a word that you've used to identify yourself before or something that you've always owned or something you've grown into? Always, always had that feeling. It was – like I remember being little and seeing certain things and having like questions like that doesn't sit well, you know. And then when I finally, you know, started reading so many books by – women of color writing about feminism and what and defining social justice I found that word and I just owned it and it kind of I realized it flowed so much through everything that I am but then sometimes I have that issue like yeah I'm a feminist but the industry that I work in that I love which is fashion is so problematic and it has so many intersections that are not always the most fair to all people I was gonna say yeah we had a post a while back when Yvette was here, she had posted it about a feminist brand, feminist T-shirt, um, come to find out their stuff's not ethically sourced. Right. Right? Right. And it's like, oh, so I'm curious about your take on this. Because as a, as a small business owner, I sit here and I go, maybe they just didn't know, number one. And number two, as a small business owner, I sit here and I'm always like, well, what can I afford? Like, what is my bottom line? And for me – I don't know that ethically sourcing that would have even have been top of mind. It would have been more about like putting out some merchandise, seeing if it sold, can I do more of it? Like things that don't even, that would not have crossed my mind from that point of view. And people were blowing up on Instagram. They had, and then it got so deep to be like, well, let's talk about the vegetables you eat. Are they, are they ethically picked? And I was like, oh shit, we're, we're going there. Yeah. Yeah. So many of our products that we consume, it's like, you know, it's like economically, like how are the workers being treated? What are the facilities looking like? You know, you don't take all those things into consideration because, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit ignorant. Like I can, I can say that yeah. I am absolutely a little bit ignorant and I'm not thinking about how it got to Whole Foods. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I definitely had that. When I started Gentle Ride, I wanted to be an ethically made in L.A. company. Um, made in L.A. is expensive, you know. Uh, made in and it's not always ethical exactly we're here downtown exactly downtown um let me give you some statistics i happen to know this from being a co-founder of grid 110 which is a nonprofit fashion tech accelerator here rad super uh, rad thank you i have a technical side i startup founder uh in addition to worthy women that's how i got here you do actually. everything that's how worthy women was it. born wow. i help bring tech and creative companies into downtown in partnership with mira garcetti's office cool. and there was a call for how do we support female founders and then it was female founders of color and then we realized our audience weren't all female founders they're just women and how do we support women which right. is where worthy women was born from and then brown girls rising was a call to why do we not see women that look like us so on the grid 110 side Fashion speaking, we have over 300,000 garment workers in Los Angeles, which is more than Paris, New York, and Milan combined. Yet we're not thought of as a fashion tech hub. We are mostly cut and sew factories. And if you walk up and down Broadway, Santee, Olympic, in any of these cut and sew factories, the majority of them look like sweatshops in third world countries. There's no air conditioner. Everybody and their mom is Latino of some kind, probably Mexican, run by Chinese or Middle Eastern owners. The textiles are also sewn by the Persian Jews, they're typically all the fabric is bought from like one person who owns nine different shops on the same block. So you're not really haggling for better prices. It's still coming from the same place. Absolutely. The factories are questionable. There's no electronic system. There's a lot of paper, sketching, 
you know, they're sitting there like, bring me something, I'll deconstruct it, te hago la muestra, right? I'll make a sample yeah. for you and then you can grade it. And it's it's crazy to me that Los Angeles is the city that we are and yet our manufacturing is so behind and it's yeah. not technology savvy. Yeah. But it's expensive to do business here. Exactly. Yet it's, I think Chinese factories can be better than ours. Yeah, and sometimes their conditions are a little bit better. I mean, that's a big conversation that, you know, there's all these different issues. And, yeah, to unpack. And it's hard. So I think for Gentle Riot, it's been hard to keep, you know, okay, where can I find the T-shirts that are ethically produced and um, that they have regulations by that are uh, kept up by the owners of the brands and stuff, of like the cut and sew knits. Um, but it's hard for sure. It truly is. Um, and I think as a business owner and having somebody who has the background that you do, it's incredible that you're able to blend those things into the awareness. You do it through social media. And it's been educational for me personally to have those things not just brought to my attention, but helping me shift how I spend my dollars. Exactly. You spoke earlier about some of your influences and some of the things that you know you had read that really helped shape that. What were some of those books that you would say, oh my gosh, feminist must read if you really want to get deep and understand what it means to be a feminist. I love, love, love Bell Hooks. Bell Hooks is... We hear Bell Hooks all the time. Oh, man. Uh, feminism is for everybody. That was like one of my books that I would like hand off to people like, please read this. Like, and yeah, F Bell Hooks, Sandra Cisneros, just her poetry just really helped. Um, we love Sandra right? Cisneros. Like tears. Like I will burst into tears sometimes reading... Um, the House on Mango Street. Yep. And um, who else? I love Angela Davis. Angela Davis is a boss, and I've seen her speak at UCLA for a lecture, and she just nice. blew my mind. Like, she's a legend, and um, and her ideas are so on and so progressive, and she really pushes that, you know, and makes you question your own thoughts. And, you know, I'm still, like, Sometimes I'm like, am I woke enough? Am I not woke enough? But I think the process of learning and reading and continuing to educate and break down those ideas that I think are true to me or Gentle Riot, um, it's always a process of continuing to grow. I am definitely not woke enough, but I'm trying to be. I don't even, I don't even, okay. I wasn't comfortable using the term feminist for mm. a really long time. I don't know if I'm comfortable using the term woke, term woke, because I sit here and I go, what makes me woke enough? I'm not quite sure, but I think there's enough ignorance that I have that I'm still trying to overcome. I think the other part of really being able to own feeling woke or identifying yourself that way is also identifying your own narratives and other people's, right? And Absolutely. being able to recognize like, this is wrong, this is not okay and being able to voice intellectually like language around that. Yeah. And I think otherness is one of those big ways that we do that. I'm curious, has there – do you remember the first time you ever, ever really felt like otherness in your life or like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'm not like you? Ooh. So my family had moved to Las Vegas out of L.A. I was nine, and it was like my first week of school. They had already been into the semester, like um, a month. So we were kind of – I was coming in late. I was really shy all week, and I finally asked this girl to see her Pokemon Beanie Babies. Ooh, I remember those. Right? And she said to me, oh, you speak English. <gasps> and it was this white girl. And I remember being like, wow. It was like my my world like shattered because – you know, I was coming from L.A., yeah, everyone looked like me, and we all spoke English, and we spoke Spanish, and, you know. Yep. And what, you know? 
And um, I just remember feeling so different and so like, I'm not like you. And then there's been other experiences, but that was like that big one that really like has kind of crept in the back of my mind at some points um, with the way that I sound, with the way that I speak Spanish sometimes, you know. Is Spanish um, a first language for you? It was. I learned both. I was oh, like that's amazing. Three. So you've got a way better accent than I do. Uh, I can't roll my R's and my family oh. makes fun of me for it. It's hard. I I have a pocha accent. Like yeah. you can definitely tell for me it's not a first language, mm-hmm. but my Spanish is pretty good. Whereas like my sister, for example, is just, she tries, but it wasn't something that she adopted when she was younger. And right. now that she's older, like you can understand what she's saying, but it's a very, it's got a slight Napoleon dynamite kind of <laughs> accent to it. And it's also things that don't make sense where she'll say things like, bacon we're trying she's trying to figure out how to say bacon in spanish mm-hmm. i think i've told the story my grandma's over randy's like no you haven't okay guys my grandma's over for breakfast after mass one day and my sister goes abuelita panchita <laughs> gustas bacon <laughs> and my grandma turns to me pero que es eso que que and i go tocino sarah that's how you say bacon tocino she was like oh abuelita panchita caris tocino and my grandma's like sure and then my sister and I'm laughing and my dad, who's white, is sitting there and he goes, oh, it's not Bacone. <laughs> and I go, no, dad, it's not Bacone. And he goes, I go, well, how would you say bacon, dad? And he thought about it and he goes, Puerco de Fumar. And I go, what's Puerco de Fumar? And he's like, smoke bacon, smoke pork. <laughs> and I'm like, no, dad, it doesn't work that way. My sister then tells my grandma, she was like, I have a lead upon so tan embarrassada. And I go, Sarah, you just – and my grandma looks at me and she goes, well, I know you're pudgy, but like, <laughs> what? And uh, Sarah was trying to tell her that she was very embarrassed. She told her she was very pregnant. Oh. Embarrassada means you're pregnant. Right. Sarah turns to my grandma and goes, oh, soy tan embarazada. I'm so pregnant. And my grandma's like, what? And I go, no, no, I'm a pancha, tiene vergüenza. And Sarah's like, what's vergüenza? And I'm like, no, no, no. So like things like that where right. she'll try and I think it's great that she has um, – my sister has a lot of effort that she puts into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the level of Spanish sometimes is – and it's hard, right? We've definitely had that I – don't, I don't know for you how you're – how it's been for you growing up. But I definitely had the experience of being told like, oh, your Spanish isn't as good as ours. Yeah. Yeah. And even just within family and sometimes in like certain spaces, you're like, am I brown enough for this? But I've kind of – I push that aside. I'm like, no, I'm brown enough. I'm going to take up space here, you know? Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Did you have a defining moment for you that was really like, no, I am brown enough because I'm still struggling this. In fact, we've been talking about it on the few episodes that we've recorded today about an experience I had this weekend where I was told I was not brown enough to host Brown Girls Rising. Oh. I'm like, well, what defines me as brown enough? And they're like, yeah, you're not brown enough. I don't know what my defining – I just – I remember telling my friend, like, after one of my first, like, few, like, I do a lot of pop-up events in L.A. with Gentle Riot. I told my friend, I'm like, I'm not brown enough. And she's like, no, no, you're not. Like, you are. You are so brown enough. Like, you need to take up space and, like, talk to those girls. And I think every time I just keep walking through, you know, whatever fear, whatever my brain tells me, which is usually false – you know, I just keep pushing through that and, and I keep taking up space. But I I hate that. Like, so if we're not brown enough, like, well, then where, you know, where do I go? Because I'm not American enough, you know? So. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely not white girl enough. Right? Not at all. 
Yeah. So no. take up space. You are so brown enough. I love that. I love this concept of just taking up space, especially like for you and I, we have petite statures. Yep. Right? So taking yep. up space is like how much space do you take up? In yeah. fact, I have had people tell me at events like when they see me without my heels on, they're like, oh, you're short. I always pictured you as taller because you have like a big personality. Right, right. I think I've had that. I remember somebody questioned one of my t-shirts and it was this guy and I got all crazy. I didn't even know I had that much crazy in me. Like, yes. He was like, why is there an elote on it? And I have this elote t-shirt because I love elotes and why not? I'm going to do, I own Gentle Ride. I'm going to do what I want. So. I love it. I love the elotero. Right? Who That's doesn't? the best way to eat elote. Right? And so he asked me, he's like, why? And I said, you know. Because, like, this is my dream. Like, I'm creating a brand for me, for other girls like me. And and that's a cultural item that, like, it's it represents L.A. It represents the hustle. It represents indigenous food as well, like, with corn and maize and stuff. And, you know, and I knew, like, would do men get questioned for their art? Do men get questioned for what they put out? Nope. There's no blink of an eye there. You know, it's just this is your work. And so I think being petite, being brown girl – you have to kind of keep fighting and, and continuing to take up space again. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Funny story. When I was in Bali year before last, we were on the beach and an elote guy came by mm. and they make their elote just like us. Really? And I was like, did y'all steal that from the Mexicans? <laughs> Do you realize that's how we eat elote? In fact, if you dig back through my Instagram, I actually have a post for that. And you know how we like steam ours and then you do the yeah, mayonesa yeah. and the cheese and everything and the butter? These guys, they don't steam theirs. They have a little fire pit in there. And they do it in the shopping cart. Wow. And they have a little fire pit. And they're going down the street. And they're like uh, charring the sides of the elote as they do it. And then they peel the husk back. And so it's got this smoky flavor. But it's the same mayonesa. It's got the squeeze butter because the butter doesn't like last well there because of the humidity. Yeah. Parmesan cheese and like a chili powder. And it's I was like – you're like us, yes, but you're you. Exactly. And there's a shopping cart. Mm -hmm. You even do it in the <laughs> shopping cart. That was like my favorite. That was one of my favorite experiences about Bali was getting an elote from the elotero and he was totally different. Still brown, but different. But the same. Yes. Yeah. It felt so good. That's awesome. Question for you as we wrap mm -hmm. up. What is your favorite item? Your favorite Gentle Riot item? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me actually rephrase that. Your favorite item and what is your most popular item and are they the same? Um... I think the most popular, for for sure, hands down, is um, the girl gang shirt or the Sin Miedo embroidery, which is, like, my favorite because I feel very strong when I wear it. And We got to get one of those for Patty Rodriguez. Yes. Do you know Patty? I don't know her. Okay. So, but you know who she is. Yes. Patty Rodriguez, past guest. Yes. On air with Ryan Seacrest. The has, necklace. Yeah. So, the she necklace. actually has the tattoo really? Sin Miedo right here on her arm. Huh. She got it when she was very young. It's her mantra for life. Wow. It's powerful. It's so powerful. We have to make this connection yeah. happen. Hopefully she doesn't hate me for my t-shirt. No, she's going to love you. Okay. We're going to get her a t-shirt. <laughs> we'll get her a t-shirt. My my personal favorite, which was like the most fun creatively, was the See You in Hell because the gradient is really pretty. We did a split fountain printing technique. So that okay. was my – you have two colors on one single screen, so it's not two different screens when you screen print. And they ombre just naturally when you mm. press it, when you pull the, the ink. So it was a little bit more like technical, but the gradient color came out really pretty. So, and it reminds me of like a sunset. And it says see you in hell, which is just kind of 
how I feel a lot of the time. So, yeah. Fading into that horizon. Yeah. Dipping down. Peace out. May the flames catch you on your way down. <laughs> right. Engulf you. Peace right? out. I love For that. the haters. For the exes. Shout Whatever. out to my haters. Sorry <laughs> that you couldn't phase me. I got to throw some hip hop into everything Exactly. Oh, I love it. Stephanie, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Thanks where can our me. audience find you? On Instagram at Gentle Riot. And you can see where I'll be popping up in the LA area. And if you're not in LA, the website is gentleriot.etsy.com. Fabulous. You can find me at Audrey Bellis. And this has been Brown Girls Rising. We hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.